Well, good morning, everybody. I'm actually really excited about the prospect of working with Justin. You know, the, typically when two speaking type pastors come together, it's really good to have complementary gifts. And as you see, Justin is in shorts and I'm in a sport coat. So we already know there's at least that compliment there. <laughs> he doesn't preach in shorts, though, right? That's, that's good. Yeah, so uh, just very grateful for the elders and for you guys inviting us here. I just want to thank you uh, very much for, uh, for that invitation. Look forward to what God has for not only uh, me and my family, but for you and your family here. And who knows, maybe our families will join together. Looking forward to, to that possibility. So this morning, I'd like to invite you to walk through what it means to understand the will of God. We have the revealed will of God, and then we have that unknown will of God, we are going to be primarily here in the beginning talking about the known will of God, because as we know what God has truly already said that we should be involved with, what we should be doing, who we are in Christ, who he is, once we understand that, once we have a good grasp on what he has already revealed, it will inform us for the unknown. Uh, there's a real clear picture in scripture how that's supposed to look, and so we're going to walk through that this morning. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different. This is more of a teaching slash preaching slash uh, sermon lecture. We'll call it maybe a Lerman time uh, where we're going to be looking at multiple passages. So I'm not going to be taking you to a, a specific text and digging directly into it. But we're going to be identifying how we can understand and discern what the will of God is. How many of you ever felt like that before? <laughs> We have up in front of you just this broad range of opportunities, this broad scope of, well, I can go this way. It's not sinful. I, I could go that direction. I can go this way. Well, that's not sinful either. Well, I can also go this direction. Well, I'm not in sin if I do that. What's the best way? What, how can I know for certain what direction I should go maybe in life, whether it's in regard to a job, maybe it's in regard to marriage, uh, other relationships, how can I know what is the most beneficial way? When, when we were getting ready for me to go to seminary, all of us going together in 2012, that was a common question that was asked of me is, how do you know that this is the best thing for your family? How do you know that this is, that this is God's will? How do you know that this is the right direction for you to go? And I, quite frankly, wasn't able to give a real clear answer to that. I just knew that I had a heart's desire within me to move forward in study to prepare for ministry. Didn't know what that looked like. Didn't, I, at the time, I hardly even knew what a seminary was, let alone what I was going to be doing there. And so the answer that I gave to people is, I just don't know. I know that my desire is to do that. I knew that I could walk forward in that with confidence. Some of us sometimes maybe misunderstand what God has, is doing in this thing called his unrevealed will, his, his will for your life that's not written in scripture. Sometimes we maybe have a tendency to see God as this guy who's like, all right, I'm going to show you a little bit. Here's kind of what it looks like. And he's holding it back from you. That's not God at all. His heart, his passion, his desire is that we discover him. Uh, he has made everything around us in such a way that it's discoverable. We can look through a telescope, we can look through a lens and see millions of miles into space and see this beautiful creation. We're in a perfect place within the Milky Way for that to happen. You realize if our planet was offset in some of the, the dusty areas, you wouldn't be able to see any of that. That's by God's design. He wants us to be able to discover the beauty of the creation that he has made. And so... 
This is not some hidden secret. The unrevealed will of God is just simply that which he wants you to discover. So as we dive into these texts here, there's going to be six principles that we are going to look at. You will see in your bulletin insert there, if you want to take those out, these six principles are going to be there. You're going to have a blank line. I'm going to help you to fill those in as we go along. You can follow in that and know where I'm at. These six principles are what I have gleaned from Scripture to help us to understand what the revealed will of God is. You can know for certain that this is God's will. We want to rest on those things. We want to get that firm foundation. So number one, God's will, God wills that you be saved. It is God's will that you become his child. This is the heart's desire of our creator who is in the process of calling out a people for his own. The garden has passed. Sin has taken place. There is a separation between you and your God. But he didn't leave us there, praise God. Uh, the serpent's head is crushed. Okay, there is a way to be reconciled where that sin is no longer how God sees you. He, he sees your son, if you, or his son, if you are saved. The blood of Christ has covered that sin. It's God's desire that you be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 through 4 says this, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. John 6.40, for this is the will of God. Pretty clear statement, right? This is the will of God, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. I do want you to turn in your Bibles here with me, and we're going to look at this even more clear. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Quite possibly, it is the longest sentence in the New Testament, but it is the most beautiful illustration of God's desire in His heart for those whom He will save. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of whose will? His will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be the pray, to the praise of his glory. God desires that all be saved. This is how he does it. This is what must be for you to be in the center of God's will. This is the very beginning point of you knowing what God's will is for you. Number one, you must be saved. Do not expect him to reveal anything else to you until you are his child. 
You can't expect anything from him until you belong to him. Number two, God wills that you be filled with the Spirit. Now, we've got to be really careful with this. There's, there's some other people that kind of believe that there's this progressive indwelling, this progressive giving of God's Spirit. That's not what this is talking about at all. If you have received Christ, if you are a saved man, woman, or child, you have one whole, complete person of the Trinity living in you. John 3.34, he gives his spirit without measure. There is no measure to the spirit. You can't receive a piece of the person of the spirit of God. You either have him or you do not. It's one or it's the other. 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. The residence of the Holy Spirit is within you as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Lastly, Romans 8 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. How do you know if you're in the Spirit? Well, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. If you want to say you have the spirit and measure, beware. <laughs> it says if you do not have the person of the Holy Spirit living within you, you do not belong to Christ. So God wills that you be filled as in the person of the Holy Spirit living within you. Once you are saved, that takes place. But what he's talking about here, this, this idea of being filled is not only positionally are you filled as he is in you, but also what we're going to talk about is more importantly that you are walking with him. That you are walking in the spirit. What does that look like? That looks like Ephesians 5. Therefore, don't be foolish. That means don't be ignorant. Don't, don't be dumb about this. Understand. Get this clearly. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not, be drunk, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. He's not talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming into you as a person. He's talking about something else where you are being filled with the Spirit, and that looks like, well, number one, not getting drunk. Not, not making drinking parties, that's which were popular during this time, a part of who you are. Let's look on a little bit more in Ephesians 5 there. Ephesians 5 and starting in verse 17, he says, Once again, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then now he goes along and lists other things of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. What it means to be walking in the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Hey, that's what we do here, Right? That's part of worship, walking in the Spirit, singing, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. That's prayer. That's walking in the Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
And then the next thing that he does, starting in verse 22, is he goes along the list, the one that we well know, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, children obey your parents, uh, slaves obey your masters, and more appropriate, our, our own t- t- context today, uh, uh, slaves be in subjection, workers be in subjection to your employer. This is a list of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. If you, if you want to know what it means to walk in the Spirit, simply... Look at this, men, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and you will lack no effort in walking in the Spirit. Wives, submit to your husbands, and you will lack no effort in walking in the Spirit. Children, simply obey your parents. That's all God has called you to at this time. You will be walking in the Spirit in those things. And then, of course, as we know in Galatians 5, 16 through 25, the fruit of the Spirit, those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these not only will be present, but they will be increasing as you are walking in the Spirit. Colossians 3, uh, 16 through 25 says it very similar, goes through that same list of wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving your wives, children obeying, but it says know what the will of the Lord is, submitting to Christ's word. You are walking in the word. You are constantly being nourished upon the word of God, doing as it says. That's simply all it means to walk in the spirit. A spirit-filled life is nothing more than saturating yourself with the word of Christ and walking it out in your life. That's all it means to have a spirit-filled life. You are constantly nourished on the word of God And you are living that out. You are walking in it. So that's point number two. Number three, God wills that you be sanctified. Sanctified is just an expensive word that just simply means to be holy. To be set apart for a specific use. A good illustration of this is in the Old Testament. They would have specific utensils and, and components to the worship in the temple where they would do sacrifices. Every one of those utensils could only be used for its express purpose that it was made for. Same thing for us to be sanctified. You are only to be used what God, for the purpose for what God has intended you for. Very simply, you were made to worship. But as a person, God has intended for you to be a certain way. So what what does sanctification look like practically? Here's our phrase again, for this is the will of God. So you can know this next thing that comes up, this is God's will. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That means you being set apart, you being holy, you being different. That, okay, now he's going to explain it, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. So, very simply in verse 3, what does sanctification look like? Stay away from sexual sin. Stay away from it. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't bring it before yourself, whether in, the, uh, in adulterous ways or in the, any thought or um, 
or jokes maybe that's going on around, uh, uh, around the, the water hole at your, uh, at your position at work. Don't be involved with it at all. Don't text about it. Don't Snapchat about it. Don't do Instagrams. Don't Facebook about it. Avoid, abstain, completely remove yourself from sexual sin. There are only two sins in Scripture that God says to flee from. Tuck tail and run. Only two. That's, that's pretty simple. We're, I'm a dense guy. I can deal with two. Sexual immorality and idolatry. Those are the two sins in Scripture that God says, tuck tail and run. Why does he say that? Because you aren't strong enough to stand. You don't have the strength within you to stand against those sins. Every other sin that he lists in Scripture, stand firm, stand strong, put on the whole armor of God. Those other two, run. Run as fast as you can. Because they will suck you in and they will suck your life away. They will cause you to flee your God. They will cause you to worship something else. And you're not strong enough to stand against it. So we are to flee immorality, to abstain, to completely remove ourselves from it. There is a place for sexual intimacy. In Scripture, it's very clear. It's a monogamous relationship. One man, one woman, for life in the marriage bed. That's it. That's the only place where sexual intimacy is allowed in Scripture. One man, one woman, for life. Anything else that comes in is sin. Whether you're in a relationship and there's divorce, regardless, one of you had to sin for that divorce to happen. One of you had to break that covenant relationship. Sin is the only thing that separates what God has intended to last for a lifetime. Do not be like the world, verse 5. They are led by their lust, their desire within themselves to feed their own flesh. Verse 6, do not take advantage of others. Don't use people so that you can gain advantage. That's what the world does. Take advantage of as many people as possible so my bank account could go up and I am the king of my own life. We're not to be that way. Verse 7, the will of God is that we be clean and holy, set apart for his use. That's a little, uh, that's a little constraining. <laughs> that's, a little, that's a little harsh. How do you really walk in that? How do you really, truly obey that? It's difficult, but in the Spirit you can. If you are walking in those things that we talked about before, if you are walking in the Word of Christ, you can do it. Because you have the Spirit of God within you, and He's leading you. You can do it. Listen to what he says in the last verse. Therefore, whoever disregards this, you're not disregarding what I have to say. I don't have a whole lot of good to say. You're not disregarding man, but God. He is the one who has called you to this. He is the one, as he says there in the end, who has given you his Holy Spirit. So we are to walk in purity. We are to be a sanctified people. Number four. Number four, God wills that you be submissive. Oh my, does this smack against American culture? <laughs> to be submissive. What does the scripture say? 
1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Be subject. Subject, that's just another word for be submissive. Be subject for the Lord's sake to how many institutions? Every. That's a really cool Greek word. You know what it means? Every. All of them. There's no exception. For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, so you could say our president, as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, there's a purpose in this. God doesn't do anything for no purpose. That you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And why is it why is it so hard for us to obey the laws of man? We talked about this last Sunday in, in Romans 7. <laughs> it's hard because the law incites in us what? It brings to life in us sin and rebellion. The moment that we see 55, we want 56. <laughs> we want 59 because we know we're not going to get pulled over at 59. It spurs something in us, it incites it, it excites sin within us. It's not a good thing, but what it does is it produces in us all manner of sin. When we know that we're not supposed to do something, when we, when we know that's not that the law is bad, it's just informing us of the heart of sin within us. That's why it's, it's because of our own stubborn pride that says, I know better, I can do 59 safely. <laughs> I don't have to listen to you. I'm going to take this fruit off the tree. It goes all the way back to the garden. It's within your heart. It's the sin nature that causes you to move in that direction. Scripture never tells us that we have to like the ordinance of man. (laughs) Never once says, you know what? These, These laws that man has instituted, you must like them and obey them. And what does it say? You just simply have to obey You don't have to understand why. You don't have to get why the law was put into place. And let me tell you, there's some dumb laws in our country. The Bible doesn't say that we have to like them. It just simply says to obey. Romans 13 puts it this way. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is, and this is the most important part, don't miss this. For there is no authority except from who? From God. That means the wicked ruler that sits on the city council (laughs) was sent there by God. It's interesting. He was put there by God. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. We submit to authority... Because God is the one who has put it there. Uh, parents obey their, or, uh, children obey their parents. Why? Because God has instituted that authority for you. Your parents may be what in your mind are the worst parents ever. But you don't have to worry about how bad they are. Wonderful if you pray for them. But most importantly, God has called you to obey. Your spiritual worship and service to God as a child is to obey your parents. Us, as adults who think we know better, (laughs) is to obey all institutions of authority. Every one of them. 
regardless of whether we like it or not. I want you to think about uh, Jesus as he, was, as he was standing there next to Pilate. And Pilate said, aren't you going to say anything? Don't, don't you realize that I have authority to either crucify you or to not? What did Jesus say to him? You remember? You wouldn't have any authority unless it was given to you by God. Yeah. Jesus knew that he stood there. Yes, Pilate was going to essentially cast the final vote that put him on the cross. But Jesus also knew that it was God ordained, that he was there in that moment submitting to the will of God to be crucified. Pilate didn't have anything over him. No one took his life. He gave it up freely of himself. We know that we're free. We know we have freedom in Christ. But if we use that freedom as an occasion for the flesh, we sin against the will of God. The only time that we're actually allowed to rebel against authority is if authority says, do this, and God has said, don't do that. That's the only time that we're allowed to. Example of it. Acts 4, 18 through 20, this is Peter and John. So they called them together and charged them. This is the, uh, uh, the religious leaders that were charging them not to teach or speak at all in the name of Jesus. So that's their charge. Don't speak of this Jesus guy. Listen to what they say. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of that which we have seen and heard. There is your example of when you can rebel. When man says you must do, but God says you must not do. There may come a day when your pastor is standing here before you and there is a law put in place that he must, due to, his, uh, due to the authority that's been given to him by the state, he must marry homosexual couples. Scripture says he must not. He has a decision to make. The only time that we are allowed to rebel against authority is when they tell us to do something or not to do something that God has said do or do not do. That's the only time. If they come and want to take your guns, give them up. God has instituted them for that law. I love my guns. <laughs> I love my guns. I love everything that we get to do with them. But it's not an institution in Scripture. It's man's institution. I love the freedom that we have in that. I am so thankful for the blood that has been spilled that allows us the freedoms that we have here. But if it's not a sin against God, we have to not rebel. Our most powerful witness in the community... In your community here, or wherever you're at, is to live exemplary lives. To follow every institution of man to the best of your ability. And when the people watch and see that you aren't rebellion, that makes you different. Appealing. Why, why are you not getting involved in this sexually immoral conversation? Why, why are you not rebelling against the authority that's before you? Why are you acting different? Your life should be a living illustration that Christianity is different. Is yours? Do you blend right in? Maybe outside the will of God. Okay, number five. Let's, let's move on. Number five. 
and this one is really difficult, God wills that you suffer for doing right. God wills that you suffer for doing right. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Don't forget, Peter is speaking to a group of people that Nero is about to unleash hell on earth to them. They will be set in his garden on poles and set on fire with wax pouring over them. This is a people that will be experiencing just unheard of persecution. And this is what he's saying to them. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And here's why. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer, here it is again, according to the will of God, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Verse 14, one of the ways we know that God the Spirit is in us is that we suffer when we're not doing anything wrong. When you are living the Christian life, when you are walking in the Spirit and someone or something comes along in your life and causes suffering, you can praise God because of it. Because it is evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. Verse 19, notice that suffering according to the will of God is is linked to his faithfulness. He wants us to be a part of Christ's sufferings. Remember, Romans 8, 28 and 29, he is conforming us into whose image? The Son. Well, what was the Son's image like here on earth? Smooth sailing, nice soft pillow? No, not at all. He is conforming us into the image of his son. He, he wants us to be part of his suffering so that in the end, when we finally see him on that day, we will have exceedingly great joy. 2 Timothy 3.12 puts it this way, just in case you're in doubt. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. So if you desire to live godly, if you desire to walk in the Spirit, if you, if you identify as a Christian, if you're not involved with the things of the world, if you are living a sanctified life, the promise is persecution of some kind. Don't know what that is. American persecution looks different than what it does in some other parts of the world. But the promise is persecution will come. Philippians 1, 28 and 29, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, that's those that are persecuting, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It is God's gift to you that you suffer 
for his sake. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. I've, I've suffered in various things in my life. I've, I haven't experienced some of the sufferings that you guys have shared with us this past week, some of the, some of the things that the Lord has brought to you. But I know according to the scriptures that everything that you experience in this life with regard to suffering, if you are a Christian, is for your good and for his glory. And if you are in the middle of suffering, that is the place that you need to reconcile. That, that's the place that you need to come to. God is working all things together for good because I love him. I am one of the called according to his purpose. He is going to work this out for his or for my good and for his glory. Suffering is not only God's will, but it is proof of your salvation. When you are suffering for doing what is right, <laughs> don't miss that part. If you are lying, backbiting, meddling, stealing, if you are in sin and not walking in the Spirit and you're suffering, don't expect that to be a good thing for you. God is simply chastening you to bring you back if you're suffering. <laughs> you, you deserve what you're getting. The suffering that is good and acceptable in the sight of God is when you suffer and you don't deserve it. This is not condemnation. This is simply examination. Look at where your heart is in this. Some of you might say that you're not suffering. How are you walking? Are you living a godly life? Are you sharing Christ with your neighbors, your co-workers, your children? Are you submitting to authority? Are you obeying the word of Christ? Are you walking out your life in a manner the world sees you as different? If God is faithful, then you are, and you are doing those things, you will experience the sufferings of Christ. So, contrary to that, if you have no suffering in your life and everything is smooth, examine yourself. <laughs> examine what your walk is. That's not saying that you should be looking for suffering. You're not, we're not masochists. We don't desire suffering. But what you should be doing is, Lord, am I in your will? I guarantee you that coworker who hates the fact that you're a Christian will help you to suffer if you are on him continually to turn from his sin, to fly to the Savior. Again, suffering is not only for your good and God's glory, but it is also for the sake of others. When suffering comes, when the church is persecuted, it explodes in growth. All you got to do is look back in church history, not very far. That's what takes place. When suffering is there, when the church is persecuted, many are coming to faith. Because despite what you say, your actions are also reflecting what you say. Because <laughs> if we say we are one way and then we walk completely a different way, there's nothing appealing to that. There's no desire to move in that. That's just living like the world. for your good, for God's glory, and for the salvation of others. So, if we are walking in these things, if we are constantly being renewed in the Spirit, if we are, working, or if we are walking in the Spirit, if we are saved, if we are sanctified, if we are submissive, if we are suffering, if we are filled in the Holy Spirit, and we are moving and walking in those things, obeying the will of the Lord in them, 
Here is the answer for the unknown. Do whatever you want. If those things are present in your life, you have infinite freedom outside of sin. You can do whatever your heart's desire is. Do you know why you can do whatever your heart's desire is? Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. We're walking in it. Dwell in the land to befriend faithfulness. Be faithful in what God has called you to do. Clearly written down in Scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's very important to understand here, He's not saying that He will fulfill the desires that are already in your heart. God is the active agent here who is placing desires in your heart. That should be the most exciting thing for us. You don't have to wonder what the unknown will of God is because if you are walking in those other things, He is going to give you the desire that He has. You are going to be in line with His will because you are walking with what He has already revealed. You can move forward with confidence knowing that God is in it if you are in step with everything that He has already revealed. The most ineffective way for you to discover what the unknown will of God is in your life is to do nothing. <laughs> Just sit around wondering, oh, maybe I should marry this person, maybe I should marry that person. Let's see, red or white on the new convertible. Just do nothing in life and you will accomplish everything that you're doing. Nothing. You will never know what God's hidden will is for your life if you're not moving forward in obedience to those things that he has already revealed. As you move in obedience, he will reveal, he will give you the desires of your heart, what you genuinely desire as a follower of Christ. And it will be in line with his because he has given it to you. You don't have to wonder. You know that it's God's will for you to be married because he's revealed in scripture for you to be married. The best way to identify your spouse, this, this is really great for you guys that are kind of in that college age up to Justin. You're in a plate. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Thanks, George. <laughs> the best way for you to find the right spouse for you is to go through these five principles as you're looking at an individual. How is their relationship with the Lord? Are they a saved person? If they're not saved, you're not even going to consider them. Don't even consider them. Doesn't matter how they look. Doesn't matter how wonderful they talk to you. Don't consider them. There's a train wreck awaiting you. Are they submissive to authority? You high school age, as you're starting to look and consider. You college age, as you're starting to look and consider. Watch how that young lady is responding to her dad. If she can't submit to that authority... You have danger up ahead. Now, outside of the grace of God, I understand that, but look at what her pattern of life is, or his pattern of life. Do they submit to authority? Are they walking in the Spirit? Is their desire to follow God more than their desire for you? If so, you get the green light. It's a green light. Sure, there should probably be some attraction there, but you have a green light to move forward in God's will, knowing that if that person is walking in them and you are walking in them, go for it. 
much of the other stuff that is involved with marriage will work itself out if both of you are in line with that. But that's just, that's just one instance of God's will, whether marriage or anything else. So you're on the way, you're moving in those things. You are walking in that which has been revealed and you have the freedom outside of that to discover the unknown will of God. With us, as we're coming here, with us coming to you, to discover the unknown will of God is a wonderful thing. It's exciting, it's nerve-wracking, but we don't have to say that see God as just one who's just trying to hide it from us. No, he loves the element of discovery. He loves giving good things to us. I want to leave you with this. This sums up everything that we've been talking about. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Father God, we're so grateful that you are truly a God who loves discovery. You are a creative God. We can have freedom knowing that we are, when we are walking in the Spirit, when we are truly your children and and uh, these other principles are applied and, and moving in our life, that we can, then we can have confidence in the unknown, that the desire that we have in our heart lines up with your desire when we are in line with that which you have revealed. There's freedom in that. Father, be glorified in the rest of our worship. We praise you. We love you. Desire that the Lord Jesus would be exalted and glorified in each of us. In his name.